Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. After Vision Sunday last week, uh, we, we were able to look back at what God has done and start to look ahead a little bit and say, what, what could God do with us? There's a, a bunch of people called Life Changers. And I want to say I've just become so grateful for, for this community. This community of faith, I want to say thank you for your, your love and your faith. There's descriptions in Thessalonians, and, and I'll say it about us, that Paul's writing to them and says that your love and your faith are being no, made known everywhere. And I really want to tell you that actually that God's eyes are on this church. And the eyes of the world are on this church for some reason. And it's got nothing to do with the, 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 the leadership. It's actually got everything to do with God's sovereign spirit. And I want to tell you that, that God is opening up doors and people are watching. If, and if you're unaware, we run uh, one church but that meet in two locations and three congregations. And, and Mark graciously is going on a journey of saying, allowing two different visionaries to lead this church at the same moment. Which is unheard of in our ranks and never ends well, apparently, we've been told. But people are watching and going, wow, what is, what is the secret? What is happening? What is going on there? And we've got no other secret except God's kindness and relationship. We're good friends. And we're trying to do this thing together as, we've, as best as we can. But I want to say that people are watching and saying something about Life Changes Church. So this is a, a pat on the back from the front to say thank you for, in the past year, for your serving, your giving, your praying. I really am so grateful that we get to be a part of this church. I said this morning at Milton. I love the privilege of being a pastor, but more importantly, I love the privilege of being a married man in this community, a young married man. I love the privilege of being a man about to have a baby in three weeks' time in this community. I'm not going to have the baby in the community, just sorry. Having in the hospital, but bringing the baby into this community and his family. And, and though at times people say, are you nervous? And I say, not really, because I've got a very capable wife, and secondly, I've got an amazing extended family called the church around me who've been generous, who've prayed, who support, and I go... This is, this is the blessing, the privilege of being part of a family. So I just want to say, if you're not part of a family, this is a great church because God's got us on a trajectory of greatness, but he's also got us in, in a deep, deep moment as we join hands together and walk this thing called life out together. Is that cool? Good. It's wonderful to be together. I, I said it to, I'll say it again. Just a favorite line of mine is that there's nothing greater, I believe it, nothing greater that you and I could give our lives for here on planet Earth than the one thing that Jesus died for the one thing that Jesus is praying for, and the one thing that Jesus is coming back for, it's his, his church, his bride. I want to tell you, I know God will use us in different spheres and different areas, and that is amazing, different giftings and different businesses. That's the kingdom of God at work. But I tell you, the local church is still the hope of the world. And I don't want to back away from it. I want to encourage you that this year, if you want to know what I'm doing, is I'm laying my life down for this bride so she'll be made glorious for his return. And I'll ask you, would you do that with me? What a privilege to get it together. I've got no, uh, no fear in asking you to give your life. So if you're not serving in the local church, get stuck in. It's not glamorous, but God uses it somehow. If you're not giving, I want to say get giving because it's not something that we need. We need to, your money, no, you need to give. I need to give. It's the gospel. And also, if you're not praying, if you're not putting your heart into things, start doing it now because I have no fear or qualms asking this of you or challenging you to move. Why? Because this is not my church. This is not Mark's church. This is Jesus' church. 
And he makes those demands of us. He makes those calls of us. And I, and I want to lead us on that journey a little bit tonight. So this evening, if that's all right, very briefly, we're going to read a scripture. I've got three take-homes out of it. I'm the, the link man in between a series. We had Vision Sundays last week. We finished a series the week before. We start a new series next week. This week is a freebie. So I get to shoot from the hip and just preach what God's laid on my heart. Is that all right? Everyone okay for that? Everyone all right? Sunday night. So you've got to be a bit more lively than that. We could be at my funeral, but we're not. Let's look at the screen. We're going to read Matthew chapter 4. It's five verses, and then we're going to pray. On the screen now. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Let's pray. Father, we come humbly before your word this evening, and we say, Jesus, would you speak to us? We're listening. God, this is not just some mere exercise in futility. This is not some religious game we play. This is the very souls of men and women being lifted up in faith to Almighty God. And we thank you, God, that you choose to speak to us through your word. So this evening we say, speak, Lord. We're listening. Jesus, name I pray. Amen. Amen. Three points this evening. I pray it will be brief, but who knows? I don't know how long I've got anymore these days, so I'm living on borrowed time. But the first point out of this text that I love to put into our vocabulary, these are three statements that I live by, three statements that God has grafted inside of who I am, and I find them leaping off the page as I read these texts, and I feel something I'd love to call us to this year, if that's all right. The first one is this, intimacy leads to influence. Intimacy leads to influence. The very first word that we find Jesus in this story, Jesus is walking down the, 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 along the beachfront and he sees these guys. And the first word that comes out of his mouth is this, come. He says, come. An invitation is extended to these, these young guys. And the first word that Jesus said was not, was not go, was not, uh, can you do this quick test, this quick personality test? I'm choosing a group of guys. Or can you do the survey? No, it wasn't. Hey, what's your credentials, young guys? I'm trying to pick up a, a band of merry followers. No, the first thing Jesus said was come. An invitation to these young guys. Who are these young guys? You may ask these young guys, fishermen, were young they were washed up. They were misfits. They were people who had uh, missed the cut. They had failed in the system of the day. How do I know this? Well, because the system of the day was you grew up in different moments where you went to school with a rabbi and you learned the scriptures. You learned the, 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 the oral traditions of the day that surround the scriptures. And as you went along the levels, if you did not make the cut, the rabbi would come almost apologetically and say, Hey, listen, you didn't quite make the educational grade. Why don't you just go work with your dad? So... What will happen? A whole bunch of young guys at the different points would go off and work for their dad. If you, your dad made hats, you would go and become a hat maker. If your dad worked with shoes, you would go and join the cobbler trade. So what happens in this story is we find these young guys fishing. So by our logical understanding, we can realize these guys had not made the educational grade and they had dropped out a little bit and gone with, and done what dad does. Their dad named Zeb. They joined his fishing business. 
Zebedee's sons, or whatever you want to call it. But they went and did that. So these are guys who had not quite made it. So when Jesus comes and says, walks past them and says, come, I can imagine in their heads, they go, who, who are you talking to? Dad, there's a strange guy here who wants to talk to you. No, Jesus like, not, not your dad, you, you guys. You guys come. And, and all the disqualifications leaping up. But I want to, I love this incredible thing because the, for when Jesus says, come follow me, it's not words that Jesus had sucked out of his thumb or something he had seen on a billboard or something he made up. The words, come follow me, were rich in the Jewish tradition. That rabbis, this was so uh, synonymous with a rabbi and what they did. Rabbis, Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher, would often do this. They often would go up to students, those who had made the grade, and they'll say these words, come follow me. That's what rabbis did. And when they said that, by that invitation, it meant he was saying, I can see a future and you can do what I, what I do. I can see that God has got something for you. Come follow me and apprentice me. Student, be a student with me. Follow me. Learn. So when these guys heard these words, these words were loaded. They weren't just some throwaway statement. They were loaded with what God was, with what Jesus had in mind for them. You see, the first goal of every rabbi and student relationship was this. As, as they called the student to come follow them, they said the first goal of a rabbi and student was that the, the student would be with their rabbi. That's the first goal of every student and rabbi relationship, that they would just be with their rabbi. So much so that actually you would see it uh, in, in Jewish um, pictures and stories now that the students would be so amazed at the fact that they got called to follow this rabbi and be with him. They would be following him close behind because they're jostling for permission, uh, position. Who would be at the front of the queue? So they didn't miss one word he said or one thing he said or, or didn't want to miss one little uh, wink of his eye. So they would, they would learn his ways and they'll be with him. So much so that there was a statement said in the, in the, the culture of the day, a blessing prayed over new students. They followed rabbis would, there was this, would, they said, would you be covered in the dust of your rabbi? That was a prayer of blessing, meaning would you be able to follow so closely behind him and be with him so often that the dust that he kicks up on his feet would cover you? So there was this, that they understood the design of the setup of a rabbi and a student, but actually Jesus was going far beyond the social constructs of the day. He was echoing the heart of his father, God, that had been put in motion from the very, very beginning. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see the, the, the macro and micro version of creation where God creates the heavens and the earth in dramatic fashion. He speaks and then it happens. He says, let there be light and there is light. He says, let there be day and there's day. There'll be night. He separates the sun and the moon, the, 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 the waters from the earth. He does all that narrative happens. But then he gets to this dramatic moment where he creates man in his image. But this is how he does it. He didn't create man and say, let there be Edwin. And Edwin came out strapping, looking good, and all the single ladies went, ooh, who's that guy? No, he didn't do that. Sorry, he didn't do it, Ed. The way he did it was so different from everything else was that God, Almighty God, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who was, who is, and is to come, the one that the angels bow down and worship and adore for eternity upon eternity, that God, when he created mankind, he leant down into the dust of the earth. He leant down and he fashioned mankind out of the dust. And he made this formless, uh, this, this, this lifeless being out of the dust. And man was lying there, lifeless. And then God did something so remarkable. He leant down on bended knee. I can imagine, get down into the dust. Got face to face with Adam, the prototype man, and breathed his life into him. 
If I can be poetic, he gave him the kiss of life. And here's a catch for me that's gripped me from the first time I understood this, was that the first face that Adam saw, as the life came into him, and he breathed life for the first time. The first face that he saw was not a God who had a list of instructions for him to do. Right, Adam? Are you ready for work? It's good to see that you're up and at it. It wasn't a God who, who was who's saying, listen, I, I, now that you're alive, I want you to obey me and walk a tightrope of laws because if you don't, thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening. No, no, no. The first face that Adam saw, that the, the first interaction between mankind and God was the face of a lover kissing him. <sighs> My boy, he's alive. Intimacy. We were created out of Intimacy. We were created, the life of God was, was deposited into mankind out of an intimate place. Not in a factory, not in an assembly line, not even from a distance, but up close and personal right in our face. So this is the Genesis design. Years ago, a friend of mine, Rich Gordon, who now lives in America, he did this dramatic illustration at a youth camp, and, and uh, it's never left me. He said that we are, are nervous of intimacy. We're nervous of somebody coming too close and getting up in our grill. So he did this illustration, if I can use you, Ed, dramatically in this moment. And he, he walked up and, uh, and he said, hey, at the moment I might have bad breath. I'm sorry about this. But he kept coming and it got awkward. And he got right in my face. And, and the guy, just like Ed, started to avert his eyes, didn't know where to really look. And as we got closer and closer, at the last minute, Ed is not playing games here. Well done, Ed. She's very good job. But at the last minute, well done, Ed. But at the last minute of the illustration, as, the, as it got close, we were all like, this is so awkward. Isn't this a Christian camp? As it happened, the guy who was, was approaching, he turned his head at the last minute. Couldn't handle. And he, the point was here saying, we all are created for intimacy, but as soon as, as soon as someone comes into our space, we start freaking out. And he said, he got to this moment where he talked about our relation with God. He says, so many of us do that with God. We have this, this, this head, this, this head knowledge relationship with him. We get it. I took God, I took Christian on the thing. I go to church, I give. But God is saying, no, no, no. I created you for intimacy with me. Deep, soul-satisfying intimacy. And this thing that Jesus, when he says, come, follow me. Can I tell you, it was an invitation to come follow him and to be led into influence. Let me tell you, influence and authority are a byproduct of intimacy with Jesus. Let me tell you. There is no other way to have authority, true authority, or true influence from the kingdom of God apart from intimacy with Him. Let me say it again. You can't do a course on the authority of God to walk more into the authority of God. There is no other shortcut or, by, or a little bypass you can do. There's no thing on the internet you can do, sign up and do a degree on the authority to walk more in it. True authority only comes through intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy leads to influence. Let me say it this way. In Acts chapter 4, these same young gentlemen, years later, after they respond to the call. Their rabbi dies and, and rises from the dead again, named Jesus. And it causes a stir in the community. And in Acts chapter 4, these guys are, Peter's walking and, and his shadow is healing people. Uh, crippled men who have been crippled for 40 years are being set free and, and, and getting strength to their legs. People, they're preaching and people are flocking and crowds are coming from miles. And the rabbis of that day are furious. Because they say, we've studied for years, and we're not drawing crowds like this. we studied for years, and, and we, we, we can't, no one's getting better like this stuff. Not, nothing on this scale. 
And, and they get so frustrated, they want to jail these guys. And, but the one thing they say is they said, but they noticed that these young guys who years ago, came, who responded to the call, come. He says, these guys were ordinary, unschooled men. Comma. But they had been with Jesus. That's the scripture. Acts chapter 4 says, they were ordinary, unschooled men, but they had been with Jesus. Can I tell you the great news for you and me is that this for me is not a, this is not a disqualifier for you. And this is an invitation to say, put aside your, your preconceived disqualifications. Put aside the things that you think are holding you back from true authority. Put aside all these notions that are, that are, are hemming you in. And I want to tell you that the true authority is released through intimacy with Jesus. That's the only thing that will encounter us to walk in into more of that. Let me say it this way, just by being in the presence of Jesus, you carry something. Just by being in the very presence of Jesus, you carry something. There's a statement that, that it comes up again and again. Go read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, especially verse 18. But what you behold, you become. What you behold, you become. I did some research on this and I saw some, some photos on Google. And uh, they showed up some different uh, couples who'd been married for many, many years. And it was quite a, a humorous take, but you start to understand, you saw that as after years went on, the couple started to look more and more similar. It was quite scary. And when I showed Fiona, she said, God forbid that in Jesus' name. I said, why? Everyone wants to look like me, don't they? But it was, it was just a funny thing, understanding that whatever, that these people, they looked in the same face for so often, they did, they started to act the same, they started to feature, started to change, it was quite bizarre. But, but I think more importantly than that is that actually the, the, Christ, the kingdom principle is that what we are looking at, what we are beholding, we will be becoming like. More differently, what you are giving your attention to, you are giving access to. It works in the negative. If you're giving attention to negative things, you're allowing space to have influence in your life. But if you're beholding Him, we're being transformed into His likeness as you behold Him. Let me say this is that we need to be, I'm praying, this prayer for me, is that I'm praying to become impressionable to his voice. That I would be not this intellectual guy, who say, I've been done church for a number of years, or, you know, I've done this, but actually, when was the last time you allowed this word of God, a scripture, a sermon, a moment in the, the, the presence of God speaking, to mold you, and shape you, and make you walk differently? When was the last time when that thing happened? When you, actually it wasn't just another Sunday or just another moment, but actually you said, God, I'm different because of that encounter with you. I tell you, a man named Joshua, in the Old Testament, it says this, he was, he was Moses' aide. He was the, just the lackey to Moses. Moses doing incredible things and Joshua just going along for the ride. But it says this, that, that at the end of the day, while they were in the, in, in the, in the promised land, to, before the promised land, it says Joshua, as a young man, fell asleep in the presence of God fell asleep in the tent of meeting. He would not leave it. Where God was, he would not leave that space. Everyone else did their duty, and even Moses went, cool, we've done our duty with God, we're going to move on. But Joshua refused to leave that place. Can I tell you, it's no coincidence that you flick the page, and, and Moses never led the people into the promised land, but a name, man named Joshua did. A man named Joshua did. Maybe, I don't want to underestimate, he learned some leadership principles from Moses probably. He learned about how to lead a people. Caleb was a great advisor in that situation, probably. But I want to tell you that I reckon the fact that he was the man who led them out from that place into the promised land and took on the enemy in, in different areas and won battles that Moses never could was because he was a man who understood that intimacy leads to influence.
Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. If we want to carry the life of God, which I desperately do, if I can confess, I don't want to, I don't want to do church. I want to carry the life of God. The transforming life of God that when people encounter me, they encounter His power. When they encounter me, that, that sickness freaks out when Gabe walks into the room. Ah! That when I walk in, that when I walk into situations, I'm not relying on my counseling knowledge, but the power of God that can raise the dead. That can restore any marriage. That can restore any future. I want that authority. I want that influence. I want to be able to walk into situations and things change. The only way to that though is in intimacy with Him. I wish I could give you another shortcut. I wish. I've looked for it. But I haven't been able to find it. Intimacy with Him is the only, only way. I said this line controversially many years back. I said it at a student camp. Possibly why it was controversial. But I said this almost prophetically, strongly, that I said, please, can we not condemnize the faith? I said, let's not condemnize our relationship with Jesus. What I mean by that is just, I just looked around, I saw a lot of my friends saying, I'm willing to, to be a Christ follower, but I don't want to carry his life. Do you get the picture, the dramatic picture in my head? is that so many of us have put condoms over our heart. Forgive the language, but this is, I feel sometimes it needs to come in here, is that, that condoms over our heart, come, condoms over our, our thinking. So we say, gee, is this close, but I'm not, but actually what is this guy talking about? Intimacy with God. That's weird. Well, that's what you're created for. That actually, you and I, there's nothing else that we were created for but than the presence of God and being finding our satisfaction, our identity, our purpose in that place. And maybe you say, that's not my personality. I say, rubbish. Every single person was created with a, a homing pigeon device that is only satisfied in the presence of God. And not just a touch, not just a light a moment on, on a Sunday. This is not enough. This is not enough if we want to be a people of true authority and influence. It has to go deeper than that. Please, can we not economize the faith? Because I tell you, this gospel started with a kiss in Genesis 1. It will end with a wedding in Revelations. All of this thing is a glorious romantic setup of, of, uh, of a king coming back for his bride. So much so, the church is called his bride. And theologians, no matter what their type say, that at the end of this whole thing, there'll become a moment of consummation where the, the, the bridegroom and the bride will come together and will come together. The marriage supper of the Lamb will end in a wedding. But a lot of us, this is, not a, this is a, a call saying God is calling us. And calling me, if that's all right, this is just ramblings of a man who's desperate and obsessed with, with Jesus. And I pray you'd come on that journey with me. Second thing this evening, I think I've labored that enough. Second point out of this text, intimacy leads to influence. Secondly, faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Jesus says, come, then he follows that with, follow me. Follow me. He calls them to a commitment. As I said, those words were loaded. This was not him not saying, do you guys have spare time on a Friday? I'm running this little course. Do you guys want to come and just take up two hours of your day? That's all it is. An hour? Okay, that's cool. Or he wasn't saying to him, hey, listen, come follow me. And they said, when you got free, let's get our diaries out. No, no. Jesus saying, come follow me was a call to say, die to everything else 
and, and center your life, the way you eat, the way you sleep, the way you rest, the way you socialize, the way you plan a party, the way you walk, the way you dress is going to change because you're going to follow me. That statement right there was Jesus saying, come boys, it's done with the old, this is a whole new start. It was, it was actually something that they couldn't just squeeze in. This was a day in and day on following of Christ. Because you see, the first goal of every rabbi-student relationship was to be with the rabbi. Secondly, though, every student-rabbi relationship with their goal was to learn his teachings. Was to learn the rabbi's teachings. A rabbi's teachings was called his yoke. Every rabbi had a yoke. And a, a yoke was the rabbi's way of interpreting scriptures, interpreting the way the Bible was read, the Torah the, and the oral tradition of the day. So what happened when Jesus got up, Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he gets up and he says in the Sermon of the Mount, you have heard it said, X, Y, and Z. He says, but today I tell you, and he gives a new reading of that old scripture. Does anyone know, remember that, or seen that before? This amazing moment where Jesus takes all the counts of, of scripture and puts on his lens, his kingdom view on it, was nothing new as well. Rabbis were doing that all the time. So when they said, come follow me, they're saying, come and learn the way that I read the scriptures, the way that I live life, the way that I engage society, you're going to follow and become like that. So Jesus calling them to this story was radical. He says, I'm calling you to learn my teachings, put in the hard yards, to actually give up everything that's gone before and day in, day out, follow me. Not a course, not a short little moment, but actually this is your life now, boys. Now, let me tell you this. A man named John Piper, he said the story a, a while ago, and it just it captivated me. Because he said, I, I've met many young guys. And he leads a church, or he led a church in America. He's, he's in his mid to late 60s and, and a prolific writer. And he said this, I've met many young guys on this journey. And they're passionate. They come up to me and say, hey, Pastor John, I want to do something great for God. He's like, that's cool. Next guy, guy after guy after guy. God, I want to do something. Uh, John, I want to do something great for God. I want to do something great for God. And he said this, he says, he said, just give me one young man who says, Pastor John, I want to be faithful to following Christ. He says, I know that man will do something great for God. Why? Because we're an instant generation that wants, that want quick success, that we want authority now. Give me a course. Give me something to do. Give me fruitfulness. I want to be fruitful. I want a ministry. What's my call? And I remember living with this all the time saying, what's my call, God? Every worship says, give me a platform to preach. Let me do something. And he said, I've given you a platform to preach. It's called the serving team that you're involved in. It's called your business that you're working at. It's called your, 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 your youth ministry that you're involved in. It's called your family that I've called you to lead. And so often we're wanting a call from God, but God says, be faithful with what I've given you. Because why in the kingdom? Faithfulness always leads to fruitfulness. I can't give you another shortcut. If you want fruitfulness in the kingdom of God, Learn to be faithful with where God has called you. You want something from the Bible? Good, I'll give it to you. A man named Elisha, a man who ended up, who was the, the, the protege and he came on the, the successor to Elijah. Elijah was a man who did incredible things, but Elisha did even more things, radical things. Go read the stories in 1 and 2 Kings. Some incredible stories of the supernatural intervention of God. So much so that Elisha had double the authority and the fruitfulness and the influence that Elijah had. Double it. But here's the dramatic thing. When uh, Elijah went looking for his successor, 
they had in those days the things called the school of the prophets, where, where the prophets would gather and they would study and they would, and they would get ready for their, their big moment. But Elijah found Elisha not there. He found him plowing the field. Plowing the field with, with his, the, the, the cattle and the, 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 the agricultural equipment, the job that his mom and dad had given him. Elisha was doing that, being faithful with the last thing that he was called to do. And in that space, Elijah goes, I found a faithful man. I found a man that I can trust. And says, because I can, you can trust you with the small, I'm going to give you double of my anointing. It happened again and again in Scripture. A man named David, the man who would uh, be the line of, 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 of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This man, David, who was going to, this was way before Goliath fame. The man Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel. And he calls Jesse and all his boys. And Jesse brings the, the eight strapping lads. You know, all the, the really strapping, good-looking guys with blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm just, I've just got an agenda against those guys. But anyway. But these guys who'd been in the gym, you know, all the big guys. You know, first team rugby player, all of them. And Samuel goes down the line. No, not him. And the guy's like, yeah, but look at my qualifications. Yeah, not you, not you. Got to the end and says, there's someone missing. And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, it's my youngest, David. But he's, he's a young whippersnapper. And the scriptures tell us that David was ruddy. Just to let you know that means red. Just saying, anyway. Just thought I'd put that out there. Um, but David, what David was, when you're looking for who he was, David was, was even forgotten because he was left. What was David doing? Being faithful, looking after the sheep. He was looking after the sheep, day in and day out, looking after the sheep, being faithful what you're called to do. And actually in that place, God, in those moments, they said, go call that man out of that place. And out of that place, he got anointed. And years later, he became king. Goliath was taken down. He became king. And he became the messianic link to Jesus. Man after God's own heart. Can I tell you again and again, let me tell you that faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. There's no other way. Thirdly and finally this evening. So bring us into land for communion as well. It's that radical obedience leads to radical futures. I've said this a million times, I think. But I'm going to say it a million times more till I believe it. And I'm convinced by it. And don't give, give myself an out on this thing. But actually the only way to a radical future in God, or only way to walk into the more of God, is radical obedience. I'd love to tell you there's another way. I'd love to tell you that God would love to get you in on a technicality. You obey God, but you can just keep doing what you want. That's cool. I'll open up doors for you. Don't worry. Just hide that stuff. It's okay. That's not how the kingdom works. I wish it did. It doesn't. If you want a radical future, if you want a radical future for your kids and their kids, the only way to that is making radical decisions now. Jesus said this, come, follow me. And then to them, thirdly, he said, and I will make you. I love Jesus saying this. This is not logical. It's not calculated. Jesus is saying to them, give up everything. Die to yourself and I will make something out of you. This wasn't a call of saying, come follow my program and then you'll be, if you do this, then you'll have a qualification after all these years and you can go get a great job on this one. You know, you followed Jesus for three years. This will really set you up well. No, after three years, Jesus died, and these guys were left bereft and freaking out for their lives, and probably their dad was going, I wish he had studied accounting. This Jesus thing doesn't pay off. Let me tell you, when Jesus said this, it wasn't a call to try and be a better person. He just said, come, he said, die to yourself. Come follow me and watch what I will do. It does not logical. The radical futures that we'll get to walk in because of the price we pay now will not be logical. It's not this equals that. It's exponential in the kingdom of God. 
tell you, I love their response. I've underlined in my Bible. It says, immediately they left their nets. Immediately they left their boats and their father to follow Jesus. Immediately. It wasn't deliberating, say, Jesus, can we just take a few moments? Guys, what do you think? I mean, what type of rabbi is he? I don't know. Things will end well for us. No, no, no. no. It was like immediately they said, cool, we're going to follow you, Jesus. And this is the thing I love, is that actually it cost them a lot. Reputations, finance, security into the future. It cost them their, their families. But I want to say this. I hesitate to warn of the cost of fully seeking his face. Not because the price doesn't exist. It costs everything. But I hesitate because the reality is that what a person gets in return makes the price we pay embarrassingly small by comparison. The cost is huge to follow Jesus. I don't want to tell you anything less. Jesus was the worst PR guy in the world if he was trying to build a following. He gets up and he says to them, God says, I want to follow you anyway. And he goes, cool, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Basically, follow me, you won't have a home. You'll be homeless. Uh, what? And I can see Peter going, oh, Jesus, we talked about this thing, man. No, just, you know, Jesus is like, no, no. They've got to know what this, this journey is. You know? And it says, Jesus said, Jesus, Jesus, we'll come follow you. Okay, give everything away to the poor. Then you can come follow me. Well, everything. That sucks. The other guy, I want to come follow you, Jesus. He says, unless you die to yourself, you can have no part of me. You know, Jesus wasn't PR, politically correct. He wasn't trying to come and soften this journey. He said, this will cost you everything to follow Jesus. And our Western church has boxed it in and made it uh, something to do when it's actually something to die for. Following Jesus is the epitome of what we are called to do on this earth. If you want to know, say, what am I called to? I don't know. I don't have the call of God. I'll tell you your call here. I'll stop you guessing. Come, follow him, and make he'll make you fishers of men. That's it. Follow him, and he will make you into a fish of men. Sure, that call will take different expressions, but at the very depth of who every single one of us is called to do is that thing. And I can't get bored of that. I can't get to move away from that. I can't shrink back. I can't make it more palatable for our, for our Western mindsets to say, just do this. Hey, just give a little bit of your time. No, Jesus says, I want all of it. All in or nothing. And this is the gospel that I love that Jesus preaches. So I want to tell you tonight, the only way to influence, and I believe God has called us as individuals in the church to great influence. The only way to fruitfulness, and I believe as a church and individuals, God has called us to bear much fruit. And I want to tell you the only way to have radical futures, and I believe that God has got radical futures. You might be sitting in the darkest hole of depression right now, or you might be sitting in anxiety or fear or brokenness or relational tension, and you say, I don't know what the future holds. I want to tell you, He has a radical future for you. But here's the catch. The only way to influ- influence, to true authority, faithful, uh, to fruitfulness, and a radical future is through intimacy, faithfulness, and radical obedience. I can't lie to you and give you any other way. If you're sitting here today, but you say, hey Gabe, that sounds cool, but those things don't come naturally to me. Like, oh, that thing of intimacy with God. Wow, that's tough. I've tried. Uh, I'm actually not too sure where to start. It's quite strange. Or you're saying, faithfulness, you don't know my job. You don't know, or you don't know the, 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 the marriage I'm in. It's so hard. You don't know the, the area I've been called to serve. It's so tough so boring. Or maybe you're sitting there saying, Gabe, you know that the thing I'm dealing with is just too big. I, gotta just keep, uh, I can't bring that into the light. I can't make a decision about that. I'm going to just keep putting it off for a little while because it doesn't come naturally to me. Here's my disclaimer. It doesn't come naturally to me either. 
That's why I have to preach this to my own heart. Because I know my heart. My heart doesn't naturally gravitate to this. My heart doesn't naturally go, yes, I want to do all these things. I want them. But I struggle. But that's the good news this, this evening that I get to land with. There is a high call. It's costly. It's demanding. But we have a man named Jesus Christ who came. And Jesus Christ did this on the cross. He gave up intimacy with the Father so that you and I could have access to have intimacy with him whenever we call on his name. Whenever we draw near, he says, I will draw near to you. Let me tell you, because of our Savior Jesus, we have a Savior named Jesus who was faithful to the call of God even to death. So, so that you and I could live in a fruitfulness that we could never ever manufacture on our own. Now I'll tell you this, Jesus, he got a moment. He had a moment of radical obedience where he was called to obey his Father. He said, Father, please take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. And he went willingly to death as a sacrificial lamb so that because of his radical obedience, you and I would even have the glimpse of a future. Without those things, our future would be death, brokenness, pain, separation from him for eternity. But because of Jesus, you and I have the access and the authority now to walk into lives of intimacy, faithfulness, and radical obedience. This evening, I want to land with this question. As before we get communion together and we're going to pray, and we're going to trust that the Word of God, the words, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit would birth life in our hearts. But I'm going to ask you this question. How are you doing with this call? Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I, I hate to do this, but, but this is the gospel. Actually, the fact of if we are not doing well at this, we're not doing well as a Christian. There's not a, there's not a, a category. I think we've, we've compartmentalized. I'm a Christian, but no, no, Jesus didn't call it Christian. He was called, actually said, um, be a Christ follower, somebody who follows Christ. Somebody who follows Christ is intimate with him. Somebody who follows Christ is faithful where he's been called. Somebody who follows Christ makes radical decisions for a radical future. Got to put these things on us, not to put guilt or shame on us not to put a heavy load because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But I want to tell you this. I don't want to still see his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But he didn't say there was no yoke. He didn't say there was no burden. 